It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number eight of Sports Day Plus at 1045, where are we at in society? You think you're bad with women. Female frogs fake death to get out of sex with their male counterparts. At 10.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with expert handicapper Sammy P. Breaking down the biggest games from the college and NFL weekend. And coming up in seconds, I take a look at the first half of the 2023 season for Texas Longhorn football. No game this weekend because they're on bye, but they are officially halfway through the year with that unfortunate loss to Oklahoma in Dallas last weekend. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. We will certainly talk about the college and pro games happening this weekend. That's in segments two and three with my friend Sam Paniatovich. He is the sports handicapper. And at Nesson up in Boston, Fox Sports also does the Chicken Dinner podcast. So rather than spend this time on those games or faking like I care more about baseball than I do the Texas Rangers making it to the ALCS and the excitement of the rivalry with the Houston Astros resuming this Sunday, best of seven trip to the World Series on the line, I will let other shows handle that and... I'll talk about what I know best. That is Texas Longhorn football. It has been an exciting year so far for Longhorns fans because their team, even though they lost to Oklahoma several days ago, looks legitimate this year. And even with that first loss of the season, there are still some major things that they can accomplish this year. And although many of us suffer from University of Texas stress disorder, a.k.a. UTSD, I think there is reason for the optimism. I think there are a number of things that suggest that a belief in this team is not a crazy idea right now, even coming off of this loss. And I believe that the bye week is coming at a really good time, too, to help this team get a little bit healthier. JT Sanders gets the week off. You know, he is going to be hard to talk away from the field going forward, even if he's not 100%. You may get Ryan Watts back before that Houston game next Saturday. By the way, great win for the Cougars last night. Hail Mary to beat a West Virginia team that was one of the few undefeated in conference squads left in the Big 12 this year. So hopefully that's one less thing in the Longhorns' way of making it to Jerry World in early December to likely rematch with those Oklahoma Sooners. Big win for them, but you still feel good about Texas' chances, especially if Sanders is healthier. Ryan Watts is maybe back from that hammy injury. Maybe they get one, if not two, offensive linemen back. Jake Major suffers an ankle injury versus OU. Look pretty serious. But there are conflicting reports. The one I trust the most right now is that he could be back either for the Houston game or the BYU game the following week. And then Cole Hudson, who got hurt early this season, he is a flex piece on this offensive line because he can play so many different positions and people feel like when Majors is gone, Cole Hudson will take over at center. You may see him back 
for the Houston game, which would be a huge boost for this offensive line. But all in all, 2023 has been really good for this Texas team. Of course, the biggest highlight right now is still that win in Tuscaloosa over an Alabama squad that a lot of folks were claiming after the fact that here's the decline, here's where it comes to an end for Nick Saban, but no, fools like me who said such things, such seemingly blasphemous things, are now having to eat a little bit of crow because Alabama, once again, looks like the cream of the crop in the SEC West. Yes, the SEC West is a little bit down this year, but who's going to challenge them? LSU, who's having a scrape by to defeat Missouri. I know what the final score looked like. That was a closer game than that. Not Ole Miss. Alabama already beat them. They dispatched A&M this last weekend in a game that a lot of people thought the Aggies could win in College Station. It's not going to be Mississippi State. It's not going to be Arkansas. So... That win is now boding really well for Texas. I think even if Alabama had been subpar this season, that was going to remain a good win, but now it looks even better. And even though the Longhorns have had a string of luck in facing backup quarterbacks, Jalen Milrow is truly the one true-on starting quarterback that this team had faced up until that Oklahoma game and the exceptional performance put on by Dylan Gabriel in the Cotton Bowl last weekend. They faced a lot of backup quarterbacks, but they faced backup quarterbacks who, in a lot of cases, still seem to be pretty good. I guess the other exception there is JT Daniels for Rice at the beginning of the season. He is also a starter, so excuse me. I apologize, JT Daniels. I just assumed that uh, you had moved on to a career in, I don't know, insurance sales. Perhaps you work at a car dealership in any one of the many stops that you've had in college. Somehow you still have eligibility. Guessing the COVID year is coming into play now. But yes, JT Daniels, another starting quarterback. But since then, Wyoming played a backup. Baylor was playing a backup. Blake Shapin now back. He wasn't back for that first conference game of the year. And then Jason Bean, the last-minute substitution for Jalen Daniels, It was a late scratch for Kansas, which could have completely changed how that matchup looked in Austin a few weeks back, where Texas really took it to Kansas. So you still have to perform against what is in front of you, and the Longhorns on defense had done a great job of taking care of that business. And even though there was a bit of a letdown versus Oklahoma last week, you still feel good about what this team can accomplish, mostly because this defense seems like they are one of the best in the country. The defensive line, ridiculously disruptive. A lot of depth. Not as much depth in the linebacking core. And Jalen Ford's performance against Oklahoma was concerning, to say the least. Nice to see Anthony Hill really step up, playing some more traditional linebacker at times too. One of the leading tacklers on the team, had a sack, had a tackle and a half for a loss. But David Benda was also exposed by the Sooners offensive staff, so credit to them for finding ways to exploit him, including on that last touchdown that turned out to be the final points of the game. Feel pretty good about the secondary too. Now wondering where the depth at safety was, especially with Jalen Catalan hurting himself against OU. 
Don't feel good about Keaton Crawford being back there in coverage. He's been exploited a couple of times this year by opposing offenses. Michael Taft, solid player. Jaron Thompson, a multi-year starter now. Feel good about him too. And then the secondary. The best player on the defense right now may very well be Jade Barron. It's either Barron or Devondre Sweat. Can't give it to Jalen Ford anymore after last weekend's performance. Would love to see him turn that around. But the uh, secondary, up until last week, had been pretty good. Maybe the weakest of the three units, but we hadn't seen consistent coverage busts until last weekend, most specifically that final drive that took a little bit more than a minute that saw the Oklahoma Sooners take a lead for good. And then you flip to the offense, and Quinn Ewers has taken major steps forward as a quarterback this year. Is he good enough right now to... Announces intentions to go pro after the season. I think that remains to be seen. I think a lot of that has to do with how this Texas offense looks the rest of the way. This is a side of the ball that is loaded with weapons, that has an offensive line that continues to head in the right direction in terms of their overall development. And you have a guy who is one of the best running backs in college football with Jonathan Brooks. Sad that it took the coaches two games and an injury to figure that one out because they were starting the... True freshman C.J. Baxter the first couple of games. But Jonathan Brooks is a stud. And there really isn't much drop-off from what Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson gave you at that position last year with Jonathan Brooks. As crazy as that may seem to say, it's true. And so all in all, this has been, let's call it an A- minus of a first six games for Texas football. Would have been an A-plus if they could have beat Oklahoma last weekend. But hey, hopefully they have another crack at that before too long. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about this weekend in college and NFL games with one of the best sports handicappers around. His name is Sammy P, and he joins me coming up next. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It is a Friday at right around 6.15, which means it is time to speak with one of the best sports handicappers in the business. His birth certificate says his name is Sam Paniatovich, but you may know him better as Sammy P. He is the lead handicapper for Nesson, also part of that Chicken Dinner podcast, and he is nice enough to join me every Friday for a couple of segments to talk about the biggest games in college and pro football. Sam, always a pleasure. How you doing today, man? When have you seen my birth certificate? Well, I'm hypothesizing here, hypothesizing. I didn't sneak into... Uh, whether it was Cook County or another hospital in Chi-Town back when we both lived there. And uh, just to make sure that uh, your name really is Samuel Paniatovich. It is. And it's funny you say, you know, Sammy P. And people always say, well, why do you call yourself that? Well, it actually started because my boss in Vegas, when I lived there and worked at Beeson, he couldn't say my last name. So he just said, yeah, you're going to be Sammy P. from now on. And it sort of stuck. Are you being modest and your boss, his name was Brent Musburger? <laughs> no, it wasn't Brent. Brent called me Windy City Sam. <laughs> Brent didn't want to take a crack at it either, but uh, it's funny how life works sometimes, you know? Well, I think Sammy P is befitting of a really good sports handicapper, too. I think it adds an authenticity. You have a good name in general, a good, strong name in general, but Sammy P is just a little bit of extra oomph when you're talking about uh, which way to go with the line one way or the other. 
Sammy P sounds like he either owes you money or you owe him money. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's get to the uh, college games this weekend, Sam. The biggest game this weekend in college is Oregon at Washington, number seven versus number eight. And it's a close line right now. Uh, I don't actually have the line in front of me. So do you have a line in front of you? And uh, if so, is there something that you like about this game action-wise? Washington, a three-point favorite at home, total 67. It's a really tough one on the side because I could make a case for either one. And, and let me start this handicap with you know a disclaimer. I have Michael Penix to win the Heisman at seven to one. Oh, nice! So I'm, I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping he has a good game here. But what I'm thinking about from from my perspective is now would sort of be that time to diversify the portfolio. And I don't know how many of your listeners have a bet on Michael Penix, but if you do. This wouldn't be a bad time, man. Rather than bet Oregon plus three or Oregon on the money line, you could bet Bo Nix now at eight or nine to one to win the Heisman. I feel like the winner of this game, the quarterback rather, is going to be the guy to beat going forward because this is that first real test for both teams. I I, I like the over. It feels like 67's not high enough. I mean, this could very easily be, you know, 38, 34, 41, 37-ish. Uh, like, I feel like there's enough offense and enough talent on the field to justify an over. But, man, if you flip a coin on this one, I think it lands 50 times on Oregon, 50 times on Washington. But I'll be fascinated to watch Penix against Nick. Yeah, that'll be a good one. By the way, I was at Texas OU in Dallas last weekend. There were Bo Nix for Heisman promos all over town. Downtown Dallas, People walking around the state fair with Bo Nix signs. There were probably some signs in the stands, too, that uh, maybe got a viewing or two from the television cameras. Oregon is making a big push for Bo Nix right now. And to his credit, Bo Nix has gone from a guy who was okay at Auburn to uh, a dude who is legitimately leading a top 10 program with the Ducks right now. It's a really, really funny story too that in maybe the best Pac-12 season in 20 years it's the last Pac-12 season how about that oh yeah well sorry you guys screwed things up really badly over the last few years and uh overvaluing what you were worth at the time and maybe an ESPN or somebody like that might be willing to pay a, a larger number for that TV deal, but they really overplayed their hand. George Klyavkov did, and as a result, the Pac-12 is either going to be a shell of itself or no more, but it is a good year for the Pac-12, and one of the other ranked matchups this weekend, Sam, is uh, UCLA at Oregon State. It's number 18 versus number 15. UCLA talented but young at quarterback and good at a lot of other positions, whereas Oregon State is having a really nice season right now with DJ Uwe Lungle-LA under center for them, the Clemson transfer, and a pretty solid team on both sides of the ball. They are three-and-a-half-point favorites right now. Anything you like about this game? I think we might see an upset here. Now, Oregon State has some issues on the offensive line. Uh, their right tackle probably not going to play, and people will go, well, it's just the right tackle. Well, you know, left and right tackle in college are pretty damn important, man. Those are two of the most important guys on the field uh, after, obviously, the quarterback and then the center on offense. So I think you're going to see Dante Moore play a whole lot better this go-around than he played in his first real road test earlier this season at Utah. He learned a lot in that game, and I think there were certain, there were certainly some correctables. You know, that first road game in a hostile environment is never easy, but if you can rise from that, 
it, it benefits you going forward. You grow from that. You learn from that. And I look, I've been betting against DJU since he was at Clemson. Yeah. This guy is not good for your wallet. Um, and I remember God, in his first season at Clemson, he was the preseason Heisman favorite. Yeah, and he was all just, over those Dr. Pepper ads in the preseason, too, and throughout the year, which was really embarrassing for Dr. Pepper after a couple of weeks. You nailed it, man. And it just never really fit there. And it sort of doesn't fit at Oregon State. Like, they don't win because of him. They they win with him as an ancillary piece. I, I just I think this is a big upset spot for UCLA. Chip has been very good throughout his career at winning games like this. And I think it really tells the story that this game opened five in Vegas. Oregon State was a five-point favorite. And now it's down to three and a half. So that tells us, obviously, respected money is on the Bruins here. And if they get a good game from their freshman quarterback, they will beat Oregon State. One of the other two ranked matchups that we're going to talk about is Miami at North Carolina. This should be a battle of undefeated teams. But unfortunately, Mario Cristobal lost his head last week and it decided to continue going with run plays rather than kneeling the clock out. There was a controversial fumble that Georgia Tech collects and then Haynes King marches the Yellow Jackets 75 yards downfield for the game-winning score. So instead, you have number 12 North Carolina uh, hosting number 25 Miami. Uh, this is a, a good gut check for North Carolina fans right now, Sam. They are undefeated. Mac Brown doing it once again. But we get to find out just how legitimate this team is in 2023. Miami has more talent. To me, it's not even a question. There's more talent in the trenches. There's more talent on both sides of the ball at Miami. I think it's going to be tough for people, though, to want to bet Miami after last week. But that's the best part about this racket, Trey. You have to forget last week. You have to forget last month. Because what happened last week means nothing in this game. I mean, look at this number. Why is North Carolina only three? Yeah, That's usually what you get for home field. Home field in college at a great school is four or five points. So the books are telling you that these two teams are basically neutral on a like a fair game, like a 50-50 split, uh, split rather. Like if this game was played in Charlotte, it's a pick 'em, or maybe it's Miami one. I, I I think Miami is going to score the ball here. They were a little rusty last week, but you know what? I was at the game, man. It, it just looked like they didn't care. Huh. They were they were looking for this game. I mean, who cares about Georgia Tech? You're a 22 point favorite, so. Having said all that, I think if, if Miami is as good as Vegas thinks Miami is, Miami has every chance to win this game outright as a three-and-a-half-point dog on the road. Um, and the total has moved up, too, 55 to 57. We probably get points on both ends. We know Drake May is a really good quarterback. But I, I think Miami is very live here if you can stomach a bit on Mario. So you have two money picks on the college side this week, Sam. One is the other ranked matchup, number 10 USC at number 21 Notre Dame. Now, you uh, you want to talk about the over-under here. You, you have this game going under the 60, but can you please explain to me how Notre Dame is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game? I get it that USC's defense is trash this year, but they still have a good offense, and Notre Dame has just had a slew of tough game to, uh, games against ranked opponents over the last several weeks now, and it really did feel like the dam was beginning to break with how they lost to Louisville last weekend. It's really just about the home field here. So uh, Kenny White is a great odds maker in Vegas, and you know he puts a number on every team, and his number on USC is 122. 
His number on Notre Dame is 118. So those are neutral field numbers. So that would tell you that USC is a four-point favorite on a neutral. So when you remove the four-point advantage from USC and then you add the home field for Notre Dame, that's how we get to ND minus two and a half, give Mm. or take. I'm not laying it. I think the big thing, and you know, I mostly am concerned about the numbers in the markets, but when I watch Notre Dame, I'm like, well, how do they not have any receivers? Like, you bring in Sam Hartman, who somehow had better receivers at Wake Forest than he had at Notre Dame, or that he has at Notre Dame for that matter. They can't throw the ball down the field. And if Notre Dame wants to do what Notre Dame needs to do, they run the ball. They, they, they go behind the big left tackle, Joe Alt. They hand the ball to SMA. You want to keep Caleb Williams off the field. And you do that by running the rock with success, maybe set up some play action passes to the big tight end, but really control the rock. 35, 36 minutes TOP and keep them on the sideline. I love the under in the game. Uh, it's 60, as you mentioned, uh, open 62. I, I, I feel like it's very telling that there's been this strong of a move to the under on a Caleb Williams game. Like these are games that usually open 65 and get bet to 68, open 69, get bet to 71. This is coming the other way because the, the wise guys know that Notre Dame wants no part of a track meter. They don't have the horses to compete in a, a shootout, in a, a fireworks show. They have to muck this up, play it ugly. We watched Notre Dame and Ohio State literally slug up and down the field. I mean, they barely cracked 20 points. I, I, I'm going to go under 60 nine times out of 10 in this matchup. He is Sam Paniatovich, expert handicapper for Nesson in Boston, also Fox Sports and host of the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Coming up on the other side, we'll get Sammy P's other money bet in college football, and we'll talk about the big NFL games this weekend right here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. One more segment with Sam Paniatovich, a.k.a. Sammy P., one of the best sports handicappers around. It's why he is the main sports handicapper for Nesson in Boston, also a part of Fox Sports and host of the Chicken Dinner Podcast. And he's going to be joining me every Friday at this time the rest of the year to help some of you DGENs out as well. Before getting to the NFL, Sam, uh, we do have one more on the college side. This is your other money pick this weekend you have usc notre dame taking the under it's 60 and a half right now you're going under there i think notre dame is going to control the clock by running the football which is what they do best right now and you're also taking you're also playing another over under with louisiana monroe and texas state just south of austin here but you're actually going over the 63 why do you like the over 63 in this one well, I hope some Bobcat fans are listening because they deserve some respect. This is one of the highest flying teams in the country. It's a good football team they got there. Let me read you some final scores. 42 31, 77-34, 35-24, 50-36, 34-30. These boys are flying, man, and they score touchdowns. They don't get field goals. They score six. Monroe's going to move it as well. Um, Texas State's a 17-point favorite here, so they're going to probably win this game handily, but this has the potential, man, to be like 42-30, you know, something like that. That's 72. That's, that's a touchdown and change over. Um, this, this is 63-and-a-half, 64, so obviously get the, get the best number you can. But I think Texas State is basically going to name its score 
And it wouldn't surprise me if they scored 50 in this one. Wow. All right. We'll take note of that. And uh, yes, you do have some Texas State fans listening right now. So that is music to their ears. They're actually getting some damn respect in Austin when the talk is mostly about the Texas Longhorns for obvious reasons. All right. NFL side now. Uh, the games that uh, you like the most are the Dolphins game and the Patriots game. So we'll get to those last. We are going to start with the Texas teams this week and with the Cowboys play on Monday night. We will begin in Houston where the Texans are two-point dogs at home to a New Orleans Saints team that looked really good and embarrassing the New England Patriots in Foxborough last weekend. I actually think wrong team is favored here, Sam. I am uh, I have really enjoyed watching how the Texans have looked this year. Unfortunately, they went prevent defense. After taking the lead on the Falcons last week and they lost that game, I think the Texans can pull off the upset, though. What do you think? I agree with you. Texans should be favored. It's amazing what Houston looks like with a quarterback, isn't it? Yeah. You know, after years of garbage, they, they finally have a quarterback with NFL arm talent. And look, eventually he's going to throw an interception. I hate to break it to you. He's not going to be clean the rest of his career. But the decision-making is better than I thought. And he can throw basically any pattern, any route. That's that's a really good pick for Houston to take C.J. Stroud, and I'm sure they're happy that Carolina took Bryce Young, at least at this point in time. But, look, the, the Saints are just kind of black. And, I, you know, you look at that final score against New England, it's sort of misleading. You know, the Patriots quit when they went down what, yeah. 14 to nothing, 21 to nothing, and then it was just easy breezy for a Saints team that has only scored 21 two times in the last 11 games. You know, this is not a good offense. So, you know, I think C.J. Stroud is going to have the ability here to push the tempo. Obviously, we know he could throw the deep ball with accuracy. Um, and this is a perfect sell point on a Saints team that nobody really wanted to bet last week. And now everybody's like, oh, look how good the Saints are. They beat the Patriots. Well, the Patriots aren't the Patriots anymore. Yeah. You know, we're not doing the Pythagorean theorem here. Like, these, <laughs> all these things are, are different. And, I look, I, I think if the, if the Saints and Patriots play that game 100 times, it's um, probably a lot closer on average. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fade the Saints. This is a perfect sell point. If the Saints were a stock, this is the time to get out this week. And I'm with you, man. The respect is real on the Texans. We are going to talk about the Patriots game here in a little bit, but considering that you're in Boston, what is going on with that franchise right now? Has Bill Belichick lost grip on this team like it's looked like these last couple of years? And I can't help but to watch... Mac Jones and hearken back to Jay Cutler when thinking about terrible demeanors for quarterbacks who are maybe a little bit overhyped. Now, Mac Jones is not as overhyped as Jay Cutler was his years in Chicago, but uh, he also has a similarly terrible attitude, it seems like, when things aren't going his way. Do you think this is it for Bill Belichick in New England? Well, I don't want to give you like hot take radio, but I mean, it's, it's time. Um, whether it's after this season or the next. I mean, Bill has had total control of all the football operations for the last X amount of years. And, you know, I think the the real issue with New England is that the drafting and development has not been good. Obviously, they don't have Tom Brady there either to to save their lunch when they're down in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, all those facts combine to a, a guy who's on the wrong end of 70. You know, it's a changing game. High-flying offenses, really good, you know, schemes, and and they're still trying to win games twenty to seventeen. I think, I think it's crazy that you know, 
you don't want a coach that's won six Super Bowls as a head coach, too, as a coordinator in New York. But look, time is father time is undefeated, man. And yeah. when you start getting whooped like you do uh, the last two weeks, where the Patriots have been outscored uh, seventy-two to three, um, these are two of the biggest losses of his career back to back. And yeah, I mean, I, I didn't like Mac Jones anyway. You know, in college, he had Najee Harris, he had two NFL offensive linemen, he had Devontae Smith, and you know, Henry Ruggs. And I mean, he had NFL guys on the line, the backfield, and the wide receiver. It's a lot easier to do that when you're Alabama than it is coming into the NFL. So I like, look, I mean, the, the fan base wants Mac benched, Bill fired, and the team sold. <laughs> we would have never thought that five years ago. Yeah, crazy how quickly things change. Okay, the Cowboys play on Monday Night Football. Technically, it's a road game at SoFi facing the Chargers, but let's be honest, there's going to be more Cowboys fans than there are Chargers fans in that stadium on Monday night. Dallas coming off of an embarrassing loss to San Francisco. The Chargers had a bye last week, and they're getting a little bit healthier, it looks like, this week with both Austin Eckler and Derwin James coming back. Having said that, though, in the Mike McCarthy era, Dallas bounces back nicely from a loss. They typically win that very next week, and Vegas has them as two-point favorites right now. Do you either like that line one way or the other over or the over-under of 51? I can't play the side because I could, I could like Dallas. I could like the Chargers here. What I will tell you is that we've seen this total go from 47 to 51. Now you don't necessarily want to chase the number, but I know guys that have over 47, over 49, and even some over 50. And these are good betters, right? These are guys that make money betting this sport and they do it with totals. So when you see moves like that, you know, you pay attention. I mean, these are offenses that are pretty efficient. Dallas has proven with Dak Prescott, that usually when they lose one week, they're ready to go. They're focused that next week. And I think those guys have been really chomping at the bit after losing to San Francisco in prime time. Like they want to prove that, hey, they belong in the conversation for one of the better teams in the league. So all those things considered um, with an aggressive Brandon Staley, who's going to go for it on fourth and one, fourth and two, all over the field for that matter, hmm. I see points. And you could also see, look, a pick six for Dak, pick six for Herbert. Like, these are volatile quarterbacks and volatile offenses. They can boom, they can bust, but I would rather bet the boom here and go over. All right, let's get to your money picks now in the NFL, Sam. You like the Dolphins at minus 13.5 at home over the Panthers. Why? Carolina's in trouble. I mean, the players are turning on each other. They have a rookie quarterback, and now the head coach, Frank Reich, is like, yeah, you know, the owner really shouldn't be getting involved in personal decisions. And you're like, oh, well, that's not where you, uh, you want to be as a franchise that's trying to turn the page to a new chapter. You know, this, this is a big number. I don't usually love these numbers. You know, you know me. We've been doing this for years now on the radio. I'm not really a fan of laying 13, 13 and a half. But I'm telling you, by the time we get to kickoff, this is probably going to be 14 everywhere. So I would rather lay 13 and a half right now before it eventually gets to that big key number of 14. It's simple. Miami is just better in every facet of the game. Offense, defense, special teams. They have an MVP caliber quarterback. They have the coach of the year right now for my money and Mike McDaniel. And this has all the makings of a game that could be 38-10. to 10. Carolina can't score. Carolina is not great defensively. And, you know, that locker room is a mess. And in the NFL, those things can torpedo quickly. I covered some teams in Chicago like that where, yeah. you know, the team turned on itself and – you know, Brandon Marshall was telling guys they didn't have heart, and they just, the bottom fell out. 
it happens in the NFL, and it's happening right now in Carolina. Food for thought there on the Carolina Panthers. And lastly, why do you like the Patriots plus three at Vegas, considering what we had just got discussed with Bill Belichick and that era in New England coming to an end? Because I'm a sicko, and I just love pain. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, before the season, this game is a pick em. You know, New England goes to Vegas, the game is a coin flip. But because of all the stuff going around New England and all the all the things that we just discussed, this, this line has now shot out to three. But there's really not a home field in Vegas. I mean, that building is going to be full of a lot of Patriot fans. I mean, this is Belichick against the former assistant. It's, it's that angle that wise guys have bet in college for years. When Saban faces a former assistant, when Belichick faces a former assistant, he knows everything you're going to do. And it's not like the Raiders have been gangbusters by any means. I mean, they just had to claw by a really average Packers team. They have they have nothing that tells me they should be favored in this spot. And look, I, I can tell you this line has been three. There have been dips to two and a half because wise guys are taking three. And then the public comes back in and lays a little two and a half. It's the ultimate pros against Joe's. It doesn't mean it's a lock because nothing is a lock. But I feel like New England is going to win this game because the Raiders can't stop anything. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the short passing. They can't stop the deep passing. It's just, it's not a good football team. They should not be favored here. So I'm going to take three. This won't be popular, but we're all going to laugh on Sunday when the Patriots beat the Raiders. He is Sammy P, expert handicapper, a.k.a. Sam Paniatovic. Follow him on Twitter at SPShoot. You can also check him out on Nesson in Boston, Fox Sports, and he is the host of the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Sam, always a pleasure. Talk to you next Friday, man. You got it, Trey. Thanks. Coming up and where are we at in society? You think you're pathetic with the ladies. Female frogs fake their own deaths to get out of hooking up with the opposite frog sex. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Final segment of today's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism. As us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. Although I will say the first story for today's Where Are We At has less to do with humans and more to do with frogs. As I've been teasing all day today in promos and then on the show itself, some of you, well, I hate to break it to you, but you're pretty pathetic with the ladies. I used to be one of you. That's right, I did. I'm not even embarrassed to admit it now because eventually I figured it out and gained the confidence to talk to the opposite sex, but far too many of you have a hard time with that. Now, fortunately for me, I don't still have to hone that craft. I am happily married now, and if anything, it is a constant chore to ensure that my wife doesn't realize that she really has outkicked her coverage and kicked me to the curb because she realizes she can do much better than me. Hasn't happened just yet, so I continue scoring those daily victories. But for those of you who feel bad about your inability to 
make things happen with someone that you may be interested in romantically. It could be worse. The cold shoulder or the lack of return text messages could be her faking her own death to get out of the possibility of hooking up with you. Yeah, you could be a frog. That's right. In a new study conducted by researchers at the Natural History Museum of Berlin, scientists have determined that female frogs will literally fake their own death to avoid having sex with certain horny male frogs. Lack of return text messages, the whole I have a headache bit, or I can't because of this reason or that reason. Well, what if she were to get on and said, I'm dying? Or a friend texts you and said, hey, so-and-so has died. So unfortunately, she cannot hook up with you. According to the study that was published on Wednesday, a whopping 33 of 54 female frogs studied played dead in order to avoid having sex with some frog who was looking to mount. Look, this is from the study. I am not being crass here. This is from the study. That's how frogs have sex. The male frog mounts the female frog. From the researchers, quote, Interestingly, smaller female common frogs were more successful at escaping by rotating than larger females. For future studies, we should consider investigating different frog densities, sex ratios, and age classes, and test for mate choice as the potential cost associated with reproduction. However, our study provides clear evidence that female frogs, even in dense mating aggregations of explosive breeders, are less helpless than generally assumed. So congratulations to female frogs who don't want to have sex with their male counterparts. You play dead and I guess male frogs aren't as big a necrophiliacs as crows are because crows have a reputation for trying to fornicate with dead crows. Moving on now to the world of soccer. I don't often talk soccer, but sometimes I have to. Supposedly, soccer is considering changing the offside rule to where it's not so ridiculous where if a person has their foot in the air and their toe is past the closest defender to the goal, that's no longer going to be considered offside. I think you actually have to be touching the ground. I think that's a fair change. I would go a step further. I would completely eliminate offside when the ball is in the larger goal box. The box where the goalie can actually touch the ball. When the ball is in that box, offsides is completely removed. You're going to increase goal scoring by, I don't know, a couple goals a game. We're in an era where leagues are trying to figure out how to increase offense to draw more fans in. That's just kind of how sports evolve, honestly. Occasionally you see things help the defense, but... We don't want a bunch of 9 to 6 football games in a 1 to nothing soccer match. I I understand it can be exciting. You're not going to sit there and convince me that it's going to be more exciting than a back and forth 5 to 4 affair. Yeah, 9 goals in a soccer game feels like 
Dolphins-Broncos from a couple years ago. But you can change that by doing something better with the offside rule. Why am I talking about soccer? It's not necessarily because of the potential change in offside rule. It's because the legendary Cristiano Ronaldo is apparently in a lot of trouble right now with Iran. That's right. He is facing the possibility of 99 lashes for committing what Iranian authorities consider to be adultery. What exactly did he do? Did he have sex with somebody outside of marriage? Not even close. He gave a gentle hug to a wheelchair-bound Iranian painter. According to reports, a bunch of Iranian lawyers are calling for Ronaldo to be charged with adultery for the hug, and apparently there was also a kiss on the cheek of a woman named Fatima Hamami. There is video of this. It's a very innocuous hug, by the way. It's not like he is blatantly hitting on her. And if what these lawyers are calling for is adhered to, yes, Ronaldo will face 99 lashes. This is because adultery in Iran is, it has a lot to do with a man touching a woman that they're not married to. Yikes. Now, I get it. Ronaldo, very much a pretty boy. I don't know if this exists, like the whole Beatles Rolling Stone thing in the soccer world, but it wouldn't surprise me if people were either Ronaldo fans or Messi fans. I think there's a world where you can like both. They're both very talented after all. If I were to have to pick, I think I would be more of a Messi guy. Just seems more like an everyman, a man of the people, than Cristiano Ronaldo, guy who's chiseled like a statue, Ridiculous good looks. Not to say Messi's married to an ugly woman because she's very attractive too, but Ronaldo just seen with supermodels all over the place over the years. I think he has a wife now who's very attractive. But unfortunately, he is now in a lot of trouble, potentially in Iran. Going to end with some... Climate change-related opinions. No, not my opinions. My opinion on climate change is I'm not smart enough to know what the true impact is for humans on climate change. I think that there are extremists on both sides that are pretty stupid. Those who are claiming that the world is coming to an end in a few years, literally by 2030 because of climate change, You're not giving enough credit to the human race and our adaptability. And those of you who just leisurely toss trash on the ground when you're walking around and you're done with that ice cream cone, the little cone wrapper, that conical wrapper, you just throw that to the ground, you suck also. And this next story involves somebody that is on the fringe of that former category. The man at the top of the iconic denim maker Levi Strauss has shared a bizarre suggestion to help save the planet. Climate conscious Charles Berg has urged customers to wear their jeans while showering instead of placing them in a washing machine to save energy and water and to cut down on pollution. 
He first raised eyebrows on the topic with some public comments in 2014 that he never washed his own blue jeans. They have yet to see a washing machine, he said back in 2014. And he encouraged others to do the same back then. Quote, if they get really gross, you know, if I've been out sweating or something, I'll wash them in the shower. As Berg told CNBC's Managing Asia last month, he wears his jeans into the shower and scrubs them with soap as a person might wash their own legs, but only when his jeans get really dirty. Quote, if I drop some curry on my jeans, I'm going to clean it, Berg said, but I'll spot clean. That is quite the take there, Levi's guy. And let's be honest, it's also ridiculous. Like, if you insist on washing your jeans in the shower, you're going to wear them while doing so versus just bringing them in and letting them get soaked and finding something better than body soap to wash your jeans with? Absurd. And by the way, gonna have to call BS here. There is no way you as the CEO of Levi's isn't getting everything dry clean, your jeans included, and I know you're probably paying for the crease to be in the right spot too. Let me guess. You're a crease in the middle of the front and back of the pant leg guy there, Berg. Yeah, probably so. This is not fooling me here, despite his best efforts. This stinks of, I don't know, pick a Hollywood celeb who chides people for driving cars while taking private planes from point A to point B. Or for some of you, Al Gore. Yes, I know. That's the original example. All right, that is it for another week of Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll actually be back on Wednesday next week. That's because of a Cowboys game on Monday Night Football and then a live Cowboys broadcast on Tuesday at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellington.